0: You're listening to Some Pulp on Sunrise Robot. Welcome to episode 14. I'm your host, Bruce Edwards, and I'm joined by co host, Michael Edwards.
1: Hello, hello.
0: In this episode, we're going to talk about what schooling was like in an urban city like Akron, Ohio, where I grew up. And the differences that I perceive uh, in the uh, 21st century as I think about how public and college schooling has uh, changed the way we think about what it means to be an American
1: student. would be interested to contrast with, I mean, I didn't have a very typical high school schooling life myself with all the travel, but um, just the, the way media has changed the way high school looks people
0: yeah the uh, the media depiction of what schooling would be like for me even uh, you know from a fifties uh, appetite of uh, leave it to beaver and the Donna Reed show and Bachelor Father and uh, all the depictions of what it'd be like to go to school and have friends and participate in the daily life of a of a school setting. Uh, it, it bore no relationship to what I experienced, and I'm grateful for it.
1: So what was cooling like for you? When did you start going to school? Do you remember your first uh, day?
0: I I do. I uh, started in uh, first grade. I didn't go to kindergarten. My my parents felt that uh, kindergarten was uh, already uh, too far behind for me. I was already advanced, <laughs> and I could read, and I could do lots of things that most kindergartners uh didn't could learn scale how to do. a 15
1: foot wall <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, Yeah, there there was that aspect <laughs> but um uh so i was 6 years old and uh and i was in a neighborhood school called leggett school one of the oldest uh, elementary schools in akron and you could tell just by looking at the uh, the building uh, that it was one of the oldest. And, uh, uh you, it was walkable. You know, there was no, no busing. There was no, uh, uh really a lot of drop offs from other, other parents. Like you see, it's, you know, it's so typical of a, of a scene in a movie these days or a, a TV show is somebody is dropping somebody off and, uh, they don't want to be seen with their parents or something like that. Well, I, I didn't <laughs> have that. And, uh, you know, I it, it was on the first floor. I can still see the building. I can still see the classroom and the smell of the art supplies and the smell of the chalk. And uh, we didn't have a cafeteria. So if you ate lunch at school, you just brought your lunch. Uh, I had the privilege of uh, being so close to school, I could walk home for lunch. And uh, my, my grandmother was home and she would make me a sandwich or whatever else was on the uh, the menu for the day. And how long of a walk uh, it was, was
1: it to and from school?
0: Uh, less than uh, fifteen minutes. And uh, you know, as I got older, I, I went six grades to leg at school, and it just felt like uh, it, it didn't even take that long. So uh, yeah,
1: so maybe like a little over half a mile, or maybe closer to a mile.
0: Uh, I'd say half half a mile, maybe three quarters of a mile, and. Uh, you know, there were lots of kids walking at the same time in my neighborhood. I, I lived on a, a, a main street that connected uh, my neighborhood to, you know, downtown uh, roots and to the University of Akron, which was just uh, just north of us. And uh, so, you know, lots of us walked together. And, I was just going to uh, ask,
1: did you have any, like, walking buddies or certain friends you would definitely wait for or something?
0: Uh, I did later, like, by third grade, but... Uh, uh since uh not exactly a magnet school but uh there were they were we, they were coming from many different directions and uh so uh since I was so close i i wouldn't actually get to meet up with anybody until halfway there and that was already almost all the way to school but the best part was on the other uh, a street over called Kling Street, there was a uh, kind of a five and ten candy store, and that 's where all the kids sort of congregated both <laughs> before and after school. And uh, you know, it wasn't a, a soda fountain or anything. It was—it literally was just a, a candy store, and maybe uh, maybe they had hot sandwiches. I don't know, but I never <laughs> never had any of them. But it was a pleasant experience. I mean, I uh, you know, I think a lot of like a lot of kids, I was uh, unsure what it would be like to be in school and, and to be in a in a classroom. I I, I literally never had the experience. I didn't have a, a day care. I didn't have any kind of preschool anything and uh, and that's even though both both my parents worked uh, I had you know built-in babysitters my, my grandparents uh, particularly my grandmother because my you know, my mom worked through sixth grade and uh, I was pretty much on my own even even uh, during vacations and things because they'd be working and I could you know watch television or do whatever I want sleep in so anyway I, I've, I've, I've I've said I've said those those kinds of things on previous podcasts, but it really was a, I would call it an idyllic childhood. It, it was better than anything I saw on television, and certainly was was uh, more fun than uh, what I regard as some of my uh, eventual friends and classmates because they uh, they didn't uh, seem to like being children because they had brothers and sisters. I didn't, so <laughs> you just got. I, to be- I got all. <laughs> Yeah, the center of attention and the uh recipient of all uh, special foods and holiday no, presents. No and, sharing uh, necessary, no splitting. No sharing no at all. I didn't even know what I didn't even know what that was.
1: <laughs> so you mentioned the five and ten like candy store. Were there any other like you know, after school destinations? Was there a playground or a park or was it pretty much like you'd be in trouble if you didn't run home and like where did you go?
0: Uh <clears throat> the playground like a lot of uh urban schools uh was just a uh, you know part of a parking lot and uh and so there wasn't any grass and so if you played baseball or football or basketball you were just on a cement uh, uh surface and so that that wasn't an attraction to to uh keep people there before or after school and and uh, you know one thing i do remember is climbing up a a tall slide and I've often used this story to warn uh, my children. Maybe includes you. I don't know if you got this story, but I remember climbing up a ten-step metal slide and falling from the top of it to uh, to the cement. Yeah, to uh,
1: you break your arm or anything?
0: No, I didn't. But uh, I never got on that slide Adamant- again.
1: Adamantium. Yeah, yeah, but but half
0: halfway home, halfway up Sumner Street, was a, another park called uh, Boss Park. And uh, its claim to fame was the owner and builder of that park had an accident and cost Sammy Davis Jr. his eye. So <laughs> <laughs> all of us heard that story. Like, uh, and I, I can't remember if I heard it as you know the the owner of this of this park. Uh, ruins Sammy Davis Jr.'s eye. It must have (laughs) happened right here. It happened in Las Vegas long, long before I ever got to hear about uh, the Rat Pack and Sammy Davis Jr. and Joy Bishop and Frank Sinatra and all that sort of stuff. But the claim to fame was this is where he lost his eye, even though that wasn't true. Uh, (laughs) But... uh, uh, Leggett School was my introduction to schooling, and uh, uh, I just remember endless mimeographed homework papers, you know, numbers and coloring, and uh, it seemed uh, for for the first three grades, uh, you know, I I mean, I wasn't going to Sunday school either because we didn't go to church early in my grade school life, and but uh now that I think about it, it seems like those first three years were like Sunday school class uh that I later experienced where you bring home papers with things you draw or things you give to your parents <laughs> and, and uh I was uh I was never good at coloring and my handwriting has always been atrocious. And that's because, you know, by the time I was five or six I was typing. Just <sighs> two finger typing, but I was typing because I was typing up box scores and in creating you know baseball stories and so uh most of this you know the straight line schooling experience i i was either already ahead of it or wasn't good at it in terms of you know performance standards but uh uh i mean the kinds of things that the teachers care about good handwriting and good coloring yeah, <laughs> come on
1: um, I don't have time for this. I've got words to read and write.
0: Exactly, exactly, exactly. So we always have had, it, had I, the, I,
1: the the calligraphy standard of a doctor. <laughs> 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 I can't read your handwriting.
0: <laughs> right, right. Well, I'm not ashamed of that either because uh, it saved me a lot of uh, busy work later. Because uh, you know, by sixth grade. When the assignments got a little more interesting and, and more fulsome, you know, like writing reports and book reports in particular, uh, I always said, oh, Mrs. Miller or Mrs. Bell, whichever their names. Uh, I said, can I just type this? And they said, you can type? I said, yeah. She said, oh, yeah, I'd, I'd prefer that. <laughs> <laughs> so.
1: So, they were, so they could just grade your report and not your handwriting.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, the only the only C's I ever got in any schooling was for handwriting.
1: Man, there's a there's another episode there. Just the the rise of the the word processor, but um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> apparently you wrote a book yeah. about that. Um, so what else we got here? What else like there's, there's common like depictions of things in schools like um, safety routines or assemblies and pep rallies and like I mean presumably your school had these things too, right?
0: Well, uh, sixth grade, I'll, I'll just stay with that because uh, the previous episode talked about the Kennedy assassination. and, and uh, But even before we actually had the experience of having to be, you know, informed by the principle of something over the PA system in every room, we used to get frequent fire drills, and we would get frequent, uh, especially in the earliest uh, 60s, like 60, 61, 62, were drills for... Uh, uh, Safe uh, passage outside the school during a nuclear attack. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, we would do that at least once a week when the when the some of the really serious uh, uh, threats were, were perceived. But yeah, uh, you know, we would have a mo- at least monthly f- uh, fire drill, and uh, sometimes that was accompanied by a uh, an assembly. You know, we're going to assembly. That was a that was a common phrase, and we will watch a terrible uh, projector, you know, showing a a sixteen millimeter black and white film about some dreadful event that might happen. So a fire, a, a snow emergency, because Akron's in the snow belt. Uh, you know, it, we we didn't quite have the the threat that you know. I, I presume nowadays are you know what if an intruder comes into your school with a weapon yeah you know, that that would be unheard that would be ridiculous uh, and I, it wasn't until and no 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 joke implied until may of uh of uh, you know, 1970 uh, that the threat was at Kent State University through the
1: the yeah, the National authorities Guard. <laughs> yeah
0: so uh, at any rate well, when I just uh, read a stat
1: that uh there's like Been two hundred and five days this year so far, and that's also how many shootings we've had this year. So it's it's definitely different times. Not all that school related, is it, or is it? No, no, not all schools. But
0: okay, so so we're all all right then. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I was nervous last night because the news report was L.A. shooting, and I didn't know it stood for Louisiana. That's how. Oh yeah. Bad. Sometimes the internet is in describing, you know, the location of a of a tragedy. And, of course, I can only think of it's L.A., it's Los Angeles. Yeah. And, you know, Justin and Juliet were at a theater last night, and so it's not anything to be trifled with. One of the things I remember, uh, you know, most of uh, modern-day schools, the last 30 years or so, had the experience of, of watching Sesame Street for, you know, learning letters, learning numbers, and, you know, this episode is sponsored by the letter M, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I didn't have Sesame Street. I had uh, Captain Kangaroo, uh, played by a, a TV personality, uh, Bob Keeshan, and the reason he was called Captain Kangaroo is he wore this large uh, jacket, which big pockets like a kangaroo pouch, and... Uh, <laughs> You know there were there was singing, there were colorful characters, uh, and there were always cartoons and little documentaries. And uh, you know it was on, uh, I think about eight o'clock in the morning, and ran from eight to nine. And I didn't have to be at school until nine, and so I could watch uh, almost a full episode before going off to school. And uh, that you know he had the uh, you know important characters like Mister Peabody and uh, Tom Terrific and. Uh, they would they would be uh, treasured, uh, you know, personalities for me to learn jokes from, mostly wordplay yeah. and puns. I'm looking at a picture
1: uh, of him, and uh, he looks like Scotty from Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> and someone Bushy online mustache. is someone online made a wee character of him, and <laughs> it looks pretty yeah. amazing. I'll yeah. have to include well, that. you
0: know, in, in a time when there wasn't a lot of network programming. I mean, NBC had the Today Show, ABC had uh, all sorts of things that were trying to to get ratings from it early in the morning, and so uh, Captain Kangaroo had that all to himself. And uh, you know, I uh, you know again, CBS has come up a lot in our podcast this year as kind of an innovating uh, network. You know, Twilight Zone and so on and so forth, and and they were a leading uh, figure in uh, leading business of uh, children's programming. Uh, but later in the day, when I got home from school, again, when I was, I was young and, and wasn't a, you know, any kind of teenager post-adolescent look, you're know, looking for American bandstand. There were local shows on and, uh, we were in the Cleveland market. So I got to watch a lot of, uh, Mr. Dress up type shows. Uh, you may remember him yeah, from your childhood. Uh, he, he's a Canadian, but, but a lot of the, a lot of the, the stuff, uh, that they did on local TV was really like Mister Dressups, you know, a lot of lot of role play and and uh, you know, I remember a lot of, a lot of uh, puppets, lot of puppet characters and so forth. But uh, you know, my favorites were uh, Captain Penny, who was a local uh, Cleveland area celebrity, and and Barnaby, uh, who he was on the air for. Oh, he must have been on the air until he nearly passed away. I mean, he, he's, he was probably in his mid-30s, and I think he passed away in his 60s, and uh, it's it's pretty amazing. And another character, Soupy Sales, who, you know, Soupy was kind of a... Sales. Ce- Do you know that name? Do no. you recognize it? Oh, he, he was a personality in his own right. I mean, he was a, a national celebrity, uh, although his program was syndicated, but he was famous for uh, having pies thrown in his face, and also delivering pies to uh, celebrity guests on his program. <laughs> I'm
1: and, the pie uh, guy. What should they call me? Soupy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Look him up, uh, and, and you'll like a find a, lot, <laughs> a lot, lot of episodes uh, on YouTube for, for this guy, because he was a, uh, a childhood favorite because he was uh, unpredictable. It was really chaotic. Because uh, anything could happen on a program, and as again, as a as a kid, you're thinking, "Hey, I'd like to throw a water balloon at the president."
1: You, you think know? this so, is where Pee Wee Herman comes from?
0: <laughs> exactly. In fact, uh, I think he credits. And in fact, <clears throat> I think Soupy Sales just died a few years ago. I think he was a guest on uh, Pee Wee's show, and uh, uh, he's certainly an inspiration in some ways. And uh, but. Uh, you know, other things about grade school. I'm sure we don't want to talk about grade school all episode. <laughs> uh, was uh, the idea that uh, the Alice and Jerry books, which is a sort of a brand, you know, that you know all of human history <laughs> seen through the eyes of Alice and Jerry, and uh, you know they they were lovely books. You can you can still buy them, uh, you know, mostly as nostalgia, but. Uh, uh, you know see jip run or you know there you know a lot, a lot of uh uh short sentences that you could you know I you know I was reading a newspaper by then so I didn't I don't need see jip run I mean I, I couldn't be taught reading that way that, that that was ridiculous but uh they were they were very uh, poignant episodes it, it, really americana and you this is the age in which uh Everything you knew about history could be put in two or three pages, you know. Uh George Washington's cherry tree story, uh you know, Ben Franklin's electric story, uh, you know, the discovery of electricity. I'm just thinking the yeah. discovery of electricity? The kite in the Ben Franklin key. in a in a <laughs> kite. Yeah, exactly. Um but that that was that was you know, schooling was about preparing people to be good citizens. You know, good citizens don't take their neighbors Lunch, they don't you know they don't trip the kids going downstairs Salute the flag and yeah and you you uh you do the pledge of allegiance every every morning uh, and uh I can't remember if i am sure it was true that uh the school day did start with a playing of the national anthem, a recording of it and uh, uh so uh you know that every that single wasn't... day, yeah, yeah, it was the start of the day. <laughs> And, uh, you know, it, it, nobody thought anything about it. it. I mean, it wasn't, like, hyper-patriotic. It wasn't, uh, you know, seem it didn't seem tedious to us. It was just sort of like, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I have a clip I want to put in the show notes of, of Red Skelton, a, a popular comedian of his day, especially in the in the 60s. And he goes through this... Painful rendition of the Pledge of Allegiance, where he pauses after each word and explains it to his <laughs> audience, but it you know again it's it's kind of quaint it's kind of charming, but it also just tells you something about what schooling was like in the sixties we We learned lessons, everything was a lesson and and so so a lot of moralism was packed into the school day in terms of uh, you know what we what we sang uh at uh uh, you know, music class, which was a lot of traditional uh American hymns. Uh and uh, you know we we sang Christmas songs that were actually about Christmas. They weren't about, you know, good Queen King Wenceslas or they weren't about Santa or you know it, it was just it was just a very uh you know looking back a very uh preserved uh, time. In other words a, a capsuled time we it was like a a, a little uh, slice of nostalgia built into a time where we weren't nostalgic yet, but we were already getting pre-nostalgic yeah, for a time when we would look back.
1: So you're already like I'm living in a time capsule.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, it really just did feel that way. And uh, <laughs> one of my notes to comment on was how many staircases there were in schools. Yeah. And and even Leggett. You know, I had like three floors and going up and down stairs uh, for, for different parts of the school day. You know, gym, which universally were hated by. I mean, I, I was a pretty good athlete and, you know, already you know, was, was a pretty good basketball player and stuff. But we hated things like tumbling and rope climbing. And this was like straight out of the phys ed teacher's book. I mean, we couldn't just play sports or, you know, organized, yeah, which uh, would be
1: fun. Things. Right. I don't uh, know yeah, what we happened went, by the time I was in school. I, I never had to climb a single rope. Uh, we, <laughs> we walked to Almar lanes and learned how to score bowling. <laughs> that yeah. was phys ed.
0: Yeah. It's incredible to, to think about it. Uh, cause you know, we had a, a little gym and, and we had, uh, you know, a, a fifth and sixth grade basketball team and I played on it. And, uh, yeah, uh, but, but that was always always after school and we'd have to stay after and practice. Why so you know why couldn't we just do it in class because there's nothing else going, going on and uh you know the girls did not want to change clothes. They'd get yeah. sweaty like the boys would and uh so most people just stayed in the things that they were. <laughs> they were uh, <laughs> just for school in and just stayed in sweatiness all day. But uh you know the the highlight for me Completely, I can I can tell you immediately about first through sixth grade was I was spelling bee champion, and uh, I won a Schaefer pen, and that was you know you a, know a, a double indemnity there is. I loved having the pen, but of course my handwriting was was terrible. <laughs> and you but, still uh, love
1: pens, and your handwriting is still terrible.
0: Yeah, it is. It is. But uh, I I don't sweat as much.
1: Well that's good.
0: <laughs> As I used to. And uh I remember uh the, the personalities of teachers. I remember having a crush on my second grade teacher, Miss Miller. Uh I remember how crabby Mrs. Goodall was in third grade. Um but uh you know, my uh my favorite teacher was in fifth grade and her name was Mrs. Slaughter. Mrs. Slaughter. <laughs> nice. And uh, you know, that, that was a a, a year where she, she liked to ask the class, uh, usually at the beginning of a week, if our parents had taken us to any movies. So we got to talk about movies. And, you know, there weren't really sophisticated discussions. But, you know, it, it, <laughs> it would usually be vroom. about, sleep- <laughs> 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 It'd be about um, sleeping beauty or uh, the music man or sound of music. You know, because she expected, I think, that our our parents would be taking us to a lot of musicals, and uh, <laughs> you know, my parents took me to drive-ins, like I've talked about, which I was expected to fall asleep while they watch really scary whodunits and yeah. you know, monster-type movies. But uh, at any rate, that 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 was that was a fun. I I, I regard Leggett school as a, a great uh, experience, as opposed to what junior high was like, and then what what uh, senior high was like
1: then everything
0: changes
1: (laughs) (laughs) so you're still in akron for both junior high and high school
0: yeah yeah and and still uh close enough to the school i went to junior high where it was walkable uh you know just across exchange street you know onto the campus of uh, university of akron and then you know straight shot Uh, so maybe no more than a mile and a half and uh so unless it was really inclement out, you know, heavy rain or or uh, the day after a snowfall when things wouldn't have been cleaned up the sidewalks yet, you know, I pretty much walked to school and walked home and, you know, occasionally I'd, I'd, I'd get a ride on the way to school. But my dad left for, for work really early, like 6 a.m., so I wasn't going to get a, a ride from him. <laughs> <laughs> Not that he wouldn't have offered me one. Uh, the name of my junior high... I think a lot, a lot like a lot of uh, schools in different uh, uh, urban and collegiate areas, it was called Spicer Demonstration Junior High, <laughs> and there's that that word demonstration is key because it meant because we were close to the University of Akron, we were going to be subject to a lot of experimentation, and uh, and you know, uh, not just substitute teachers, but you know, deliberately substituted teachers for different topics and things and so uh I, this probably doesn't mean anything to you in the in the way you were taught math but i was the first i was in the in the first group of seventh graders to learn the quote new math and uh you know you know I, we learned about concepts like base 10 or base <sighs> 9 and, and and those sorts of things and uh I was always good in math, but I didn't like geometry, and I didn't like it any better uh, learning it this new way either. And uh, but uh, I just remember a series of homeroom experiences. You know, uh, for my first experience with homeroom where I started in a classroom, and then the rest of the day was spent outside that classroom going to individual subjects. Because in uh, elementary school, all the subjects are taught by one teacher.
1: Yeah, you're in one room pretty much all day.
0: Yeah yeah uh, which meant that science in elementary school was watching films about scientists because we didn't have a laboratory we didn't have uh any uh you know microscopes and uh, you know we learned about uh you know the universe the stars and you know where jupiter was that sort of stuff but in 7th and 8th grade we learned inside an actual science classroom which was was uh, different for me and and uh i, I think uh, we had the opportunity i didn't choose the opportunity uh to dissect a frog and uh since they didn't have enough frogs to go around they had to be volunteers he graciously
1: and declined
0: i i uh, i let uh i'm trying to think of some of the people the names like a guy uh, i'll just use their first names so they're not defamed by this unlike
1: uh, your teachers which
0: <laughs> yeah well, I didn't say anything negative i'm a, I, I will say something about my eighth grade basketball coach who was one of the meanest men I've ever known I'll change his name for the sake of the podcast but <laughs> but uh Bob or uh, uh, I'll say Tracy you know I, I think I had a Tracy in my class and they volunteered right away to to be able to cut up a frog which you know poor frogs you know they just existed long enough for us to Cut them up, and I'm I'm not so sure that isn't the basis of all the horror movies ever made in the '70s and '80s. They they learned how to cut up things, <laughs> uh, but you it, it wasn't it wasn't terrible. I mean, going to science class, but uh, it wasn't much fun either. So uh, I'm glad you like science and. <laughs> and I most, I don't, of, most of my my children like science. I've never I mean, been science as a su- as a subject,
1: yeah, I don't know that uh us Edwards were ever like really scientist minded um I think science was always one of the worst scores I had on standardized testing. I mean like I wouldn't like fail, but you know if I was going to get a b or God forbid a C, I don't know if I ever had a C in high school, but you know it was going to be science and it it was weird because I was good at math, but when I would go into science classes, it would look like math, but something was just different about it and I just couldn't do it quite as well.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, I uh, I'll say this uh, later about my high school experience. My my best exposure to science and scientific thinking was in in high school, no surprise because they had uh I think better training, more experience as as teachers. Uh, nobody goes into junior high teaching to teach science that's my experience yeah so uh but uh you know uh like i said we were a demonstrations school and uh, it was just seventh eighth grade most most of the junior highs around the area were seventh to ninth grade so we were we were only there two years and then we we went on to ninth grade which was attached to the high school in akron uh in central akron anyway and that was what it was called, Akron Central High School, and so they had a ninth through twelfth grade. And uh, uh, you know, ninth grade for for many people of that era was a shock because in seventh grade you're still partly uh, an elementary school kid, and you're you're pretty naive. And uh, my recollection was there were a couple of people I would call bullies. But it seemed like in ninth grade we got every bully from the rest of Akron oh, in the man. school by then, and uh, you know just uh, the kind of bullies that that kind of show up in uh, a Christmas story to to plague Ralphie, you know, and in, in that and uh, you know just people who are mean for no reason. Yeah. Um, you know they they didn't come from uh, deprived homes; they had you know, intact you know, uh, family structures. They may even had an older brother or younger sister flanking them. It just, to me, there was no reason for them to be what they were, but I experienced that for the first time in ninth grade and it was, you know, unpleasant. And, uh, you know, uh, and I just, uh, you know, th- this is the one thing that, 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 uh, popular media of the time had sort of prepared me for because there was always a bully character. Yeah. Uh, typical and uh you know i didn't uh i didn't like it and uh so and there's there's nowhere to go with that experience because you really i really didn't want to tell my mom and dad because my, my dad would have called the principal and so on and so forth and you know nothing as savage as what uh i think kids experience today or at least that they report uh, it was just unpleasant and uh you know i was now eating at a high school cafeteria kind of thing and there were people who said give me your lunch money and you know there's just just ridiculous stuff
1: <laughs> weird little society of not adults but weird power systems still yeah, in place
0: lord of lord of fly lord of the flies sort of people <laughs> you know like uh, we were we were in our own uh own world um you know 7th 8th grade was the only time I can recall of getting in an actual fight. And, you know, because I was not a troublemaker. I was considered a good boy. You know, I was a scholastic kid. And uh, one day, uh, uh, normally a a friend of mine, a guy named Darnell, said something about my mother. I mean, it was like, again, a stereotypical thing. Don't talk about my mother. (laughs) And uh, I slugged him. I was proud of myself. I'd never, you know, hit anybody in in the jaw before in my life. And had never been called to the principal's office, uh, you know. You know, it just it didn't happen in Spicer Demonstration School anyway. I mean, we were both a model and an experiment, and uh, so there we were.
1: You punched uh, a man named Darnell.
0: I did, I did, and uh, my teachers were shocked. Uh, in the, like the next day, I wasn't suspended or anything. I just had to spend the rest of the afternoon. Uh, in, in school because you know, I had to have my mom come and pick me up. And, uh, <laughs> Don't
1: you say anything yeah. about her, but she's going to come pick me up.
0: Right, right. And, uh, you know, of course, again, it's that weird sensation you have of being proud that you hit somebody in the jaw uh, even though it was technically wrong, you know, it was against school policy. But, you know, my mom and dad were proud of me. <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> well, he said this. And, of course, I, I think probably it wasn't the worst thing that could be said about somebody's mom. Uh, but, you know, I just figured I'm just going to haul off and hit this kid <laughs> and see what it's like. <laughs> see
1: what it's like. Try yeah. my you hand know, he, at some he, violence. He,
0: he was bigger than me, uh, but I thought he was a little papier-mâché, uh, meaning he could be easily uh, knocked down. And, and indeed he was. And he He cried. <laughs> And I didn't think anybody I would ever hit would cry first. <laughs> you know, wouldn't why don't we get up and start you know swinging back? But he didn't. I think yeah. he was so shocked that you know I was a nice kid. I don't go around hitting people. That he was so shocked he couldn't respond. And then we were good friends the rest of the school year. It's like
1: know we can't. Males yeah. are just weird like that. Like like can be sworn enemies and then suddenly just kidding. We're best friends.
0: Yeah well he he certainly took it as a sign that he should either be my friend or stay away from me <laughs> and he chose yeah. to stay with me so yeah
1: so so but, so you're uh, saying violence is the right answer to problems I
0: think yeah. violence is a good thing in seventh grade when all you do is is barely nick a guy on the jaw and he <laughs> cries, and then you can make up and you know be friends
1: you don't so. think we should equip our mm. Students and teachers with, you know, guns to make sure we're safe. <laughs> make sure, <laughs> no, make I, sure these little outbursts are deadly instead of... <laughs> I would say water
0: balloons is as far as I would go. Okay. And we did have days, water balloon days, literally like a school-sponsored water balloon, you know, in the summer. I mean, before the school is out and i i did appreciate that but i think it was the influence of soupy sales <laughs> and his, his pie machine um so anyway to sum up that at era you know it was a, a to me a gentle time i enjoyed my school experience like a lot of people who love school you i you love everything about it the the uh, uh the smells the activities uh the, the friendships you make um uh, and then comes senior high, and particularly ninth grade, where the bullies come. You know, like like zombies just off another planet who are, yeah, like, I- imported to our school. Like we get our supply of of bullies, and and you know even the the, the friends I had who were girls said they had bullies among the girls too. And, yeah, you know, mean girls would, is a true
1: story. Um, yeah. Did you have any like the experience of like people you were close to or, or you know got along well with in junior high that like seemed to instantly transform into different people in high school? Like you know
0: what uh, I had the opposite experience. Uh, two two or three guys that were you know just incessantly irritating to me and and often saying they were probably witty remarks for that age and for those guys. Uh, trans, transform into my best friends in high school, <laughs> uh, and uh, you. Know, in, in case you know, somehow he happens to hear this. One of those is, was Tony. To, Tony was my best friend, and and Roy was my best friend, and you know, we double dated together. We got our you know driver's license at the same time. I mean, not not you know together got them, but you know within a, you know a week. <laughs> And uh, we were always, uh, and this is the best part. We'd be always picking each other up to go to Swenson's. Yeah, wow, that sounds I mean, amazing! That's, yeah, that's incredible. Um, and Tony had a, a a Mustang. I had a Ford Falcon. So there's a there's a difference there. In in uh, quality, although mine mine was you know, a gift from my parents, so I can't complain. But. Uh... But you know, I mean, uh high school is well depicted, well covered in popular media and uh you know, I used to watch shows like uh The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis that that had uh, uh as one of its main characters besides Dobie Gillis, Maynard Krebs who was Gilligan on Gilligan's Island. And uh he 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 personified for me the way uh i expected high school to be and was disappointed it wasn't more like this character who was smart but didn't let anybody know and uh and so he he's sort of an early beatnik beatnik he's he's uh, got all the witty remarks and things uh, uh but uh he he was the character who said work and with that with his voice splitting there because <laughs> anybody would ever ask him to do anything, he would have that, work! And uh, it's a famous, uh, that one word is a famous line in the 50s and 60s uh, TV. And I guess that's how he got the Gilligan part. But uh, he plays sort of the same guy. <laughs> uh, but And there was a, a show called Room 222, uh, and a, a, another show called Mr. Novak, and the most important part about both of those shows is they tell you that the neatest, cleverest, most important man or woman in your life in high school is the English teacher, because she's gonna know, or he's gonna know the best books to read. Uh, you know, he he's the one who's gonna know about uh, uh, the, the, the the stories uh, like uh, you know. Later on, I would I would learn these stories like Catcher and the Rye*. I mean, I thought it was a baseball book. I didn't know. And uh, and so your English teachers are always the hip ones and so forth. Uh, and uh, that's, that may be the most important point uh, for anybody to be prepared for, for high school is, you know, learn to love your English teacher because they're the ones who are going to, you know, hang with you in the darkest times. And uh, make sure you know all the cultural references that you'll probably miss if you didn't talk to them after
1: school. <laughs> Well, that's good advice. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and of course, it's probably why I became a college professor in English because you know I I knew that's where the hippest students would be because nobody you know majors in English to get a yeah. job. <laughs>
1: what is yeah? That's a a longstanding cliche. It's it's a weird like not to derail the the school conversation, but. um it seems like, yeah, you get an English degree or in rhetoric or writing, like that doesn't prepare you for anything specific, and yet is there a single corner of human life that isn't made better by mastering rhetoric and writing and communication and all these topics of English?
0: Sure. Sure, I would never have heard of uh, Jacques Derrida unless I would majored in, in English and rhetoric. <laughs> and
1: what a great thing to miss. How
0: well how impoverished I would be, and Foucault. How I would never understand the prison system without <laughs> Foucault. Um, but uh, yeah, you now ninth ninth grade was hard. But once you make that transition, you know, in in Akron public schools, in Akron Central, in the sixties, you, you're home free because tenth, eleventh, twelfth grade almost make up for that ninth grade year. And you know I got elected to uh, an office i was you know vice president of my senior class uh, i was yearbook editor uh, i was uh, on the staff of the anvil, which is the literary magazine of the high school So all these stereotypical stereotypical uh max uh rushmore type experiences you know i got to i got to live and uh <laughs> Uh so that's 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 a, a great uh socializing socialization experience of getting to do all those things. And uh
1: so would you say in general you loved school other than like the, the bully situation and the, the dismal I did.
0: I did. Yeah, I you know, uh you know, I got to play high school sports, I was on the basketball team, I played high school tennis, uh and uh you know Tennis was a, a a strange experience because, of course, nobody comes to see your matches. Even I don't think my parents ever saw me. Yeah,
1: tennis is weird like that. You just play yeah. and someone scores. It.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, but I was on the tennis court the day that that Kent State happened, and uh, you know somebody had a transistor radio at the, at the match, and uh, like halfway through my match, somebody said. Four people, four students have been killed in Kent State. And we, we couldn't, it didn't register with us what that could possibly mean. You know, why would our National Guard kill four college students? And, of course, you, you live through the story and you hear the, you know, the, 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 the National Guard are the ones that had the guns, but they were afraid of the rock-throwing crowd. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just a weird sensation of, of, uh, of hearing that story. And, uh, you know... Uh, but I remember, you know, I, I remembered in a previous episode where I was when John F. Kennedy was, was, was shot and I was in my sixth grade classroom and I was on a tennis court in uh, in Akron, Ohio, north, uh, north of the campus and,
1: uh,
0: you know, not more than 10 miles away from Kent State. Sur- surreal.
1: So I was interested in... Uh asking about more of the the changes you've seen, you know, I mean, by the time I'm in school, like, it seems like there's no shortage of treatments of school, um, saved by the bell or even the like niche stuff, like how, how Parker Lewis can't lose, or, um, I forget was Degrassi's, the Canadian sitcom. And, um, you know, you keep going forward, you get to freaks and geeks and it just seems like, you know, since school is such a universal institution for American culture, it's it's rich, it's rich cultural heritage for depiction in TV shows. And um, you know, you've mentioned some of the shows you saw growing up, but was there was there a quintessential like teen drama set in high school in, in your age, or was, it, was is that more of a seventies eighties invention?
0: Well, I, I think the seventies and eighties did. Uh... Author uh, a a high school dramedy kind of approach to to the lives of uh, of
1: uh, students. You know, breakfast but Club what, what, kind what, of being a landmark. Yeah,
0: yeah. But what we did have were the so-called afternoon specials, right? And you know that that becomes a, a characteristic phrase. You know, the afternoon special and ABC was the the one who really. Uh, uh, pioneered this it was always about a serious subject and so it's a story about a a young teenage girl getting pregnant uh, there there's about abusive parents there's about bullies uh, there there's about uh, great teachers right who 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 made the difference in this person's life kind of stories they were all fictional but you know it was it was this uh, I don't think they were weekly but at least once or twice a month they were these afternoon specials and uh, you know, I watched uh, quite a few of them, and uh, you know, many of them were were horribly bad. I mean, they, they, were, they were poorly acted. The uh, sermonizing of them were just so heavy that uh, you know, it it almost compelled you to. To run the other direction and say, <laughs> if if this is what being good is, then I'm going to be bad. So you know? was
1: that uh, was that the way they were received at the time too? It wasn't just retroactively derision applied to these.
0: Well, it certainly there was derision at school. I mean, if if you you know, because you know, here, here would be the dialogue: you you go to school the next day after an ABC afternoon special. And somebody says, "Did you see that?" And, and they would say, "You know, my mom made me watch that." <laughs> uh, and and you know, just just even that that kind of attitude doesn't indicate, you know, uh, respect for the medium or for the the lesson being learned. And and uh, you know, I think that's right at the the era. This is like sixty eight to seventy now. You know, again, you've got all these 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 things happening in the, the larger culture. Vietnam War assassinations and you begin to get cynical and, and you know, no hour and a half special about an incident in, in a high school experience. Uh, You don't want to hear about that. You don't want to hear a guidance counselor, Tell you all the things that uh, are wrong with you and your generation, <laughs> uh, and in that extrapolation is going on all the time in in different classes along the way. So you used to start turning that stuff off. The moralizing just gets too too heavy. And you know, looking back, I mean, those those pressures were there, and those those you know cultural forces were at work. But in the day to day high school experience, it seemed over overwrought. To bring those into the classroom because, you know, there isn't going to be a lot of that affecting you directly in in your in your high school life because you are still adolescents. You're still sixteen or seventeen, and and uh, it's 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 like to, to me it, it's uh, television stations providing their quota of public service announcement dramas. Yeah and it's it's taking some of the uh pressure off of the the guidance school counselor person uh and there were there were a couple I respected from afar uh you know because they're usually your college uh uh preparation coach too and they're they're you know filling out forms for you and that kind of stuff, but some of them were laudable uh not laudably they were <laughs> <laughs> uh uh ridiculously. At there, I mean, I mean, our attitude was the person who gets the guidance counselor uh, role is somebody who couldn't teach in the
1: classroom. That's that's unfair. So the, it wasn't the gym teacher that had that label.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. The uh, in fact, the the worst math teacher I ever had was uh, a football coach primarily, and he would come to class and spend two minutes on math topics and then start talking about next week's game. So you know, he he, he was awful and uh i won't even name him but uh uh
1: so it seems like this is just inherent in in new generations of of people and and teenagers that being talked at by perceived either superiors or like it's it didn't come from you so the story doesn't have as much credibility was that kind of some of the feeling of like oh the network's gonna tell us what to do
0: right right see so, see we i i think we're relatively naive but not naive enough not to know that girls get pregnant that there are uh uh we didn't have this term or or wasn't in you know in 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 use uh you know we, we knew that there were people who were gay you know how whatever we used to, to describe that yeah uh, and we knew that there were teachers who uh slept with their students and uh you know on and on and on, so I mean that kind of story was available to us it's being played out for us, but uh it's not uh it wasn't talked about directly i mean it wasn't yeah. it wasn't on authentic in an authentic discussion uh that was left to the network t v guys and, and why would we want to hear about <laughs> that or or to try to you know Figure out how to make decisions about things.
1: Yeah, they should be the storytellers uh, for that.
0: Right, right. And you know, we did have a, a kind of fledgling uh, sex education uh, curriculum that was taught by my assistant basketball coach. <laughs> <laughs> Great, and and uh, you know, we we learned about female and male anatomy, and we learned the, the sort of physiology of that, but we didn't really learn anything else. So if I didn't already know. Uh, I wouldn't have learned from that classroom.
1: So that, that makes me want to ask: it, Did your parents tell you about sex? Did you hear about it mainly from other kids? Uh,
0: I, I I would definitely, you know, learn uh, from my dad, but much later, and really only with prodding from me. I mean, it was it was, <laughs> was just it too- as
1: stereotypical as this? That kind of situation is always depicted.
0: You know, I don't think my dad was ever stereotypical. <laughs> right, in that, uh, I guess not. I mean, in this sense, I mean, uh, if you ask him a direct question, you would get a direct answer. Uh, and even if you didn't, you know, want to hear the answer and the way it was was, was told to you, uh, you, know, you know, for instance, why are you asking me about that? All right, here you know, here's the lowdown or whatever. Uh, but uh, you know, eventually it would be from reading. Books, I mean, that, that, that's just, you know, the way I would have ever learned about it. Uh, you know, and I, I can remember uh, a book I, I picked up in, in the library called, oh, by Ashley Montague, who is a, an anthropologist. And you can you can look his name up. And I can't remember, was it called The Human Ape or The Human Animal or something like that? And he had a chapter on sex. And I read that. And that's, you know, I, I was a little it was a little incredulous about what what are you, what are you talking about Ashley <laughs> but you know that's that's uh you know and then and then you 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 can get confirmation if you know enough of the subject for the person who's uneasy about answering you you know whether it's your dad or your high school health teacher because then he doesn't feel the burden of having to explain everything and so so is it like this yes it's like that and that's all you get. <laughs> Not very helpful. Yeah.
1: So So you mentioned going to it, the library and getting a book on sex. And um, one of the topics you have down here of like a difference over the decades between schools is uh, the, the presence of book burning, which I can't remember a book burning... I guess yeah, I guess yeah, in some other states maybe this this is still in fashion, but yeah. it's pretty yeah. taboo and, and, nowadays. It's like what are you trying to destroy free society?
0: Right. Right. Yeah, and I I we never there was never any literal book burnings. Uh in fact, I only learned that that was some, a thing until I, I I read Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451. And you know, I you know, learned about Nazi book burnings and so on and so forth. But uh in in the sense of school boards and PTAs uh, having to deal with angry parents or or uh, even even a, a student herself or himself saying I I was forced to read this book that you know attacks my religion or something like that and uh, uh, and yeah I, I think there's definitely less <laughs> less uh, because reading an stage.
1: alternative idea is automatically an attack,
0: <laughs> right. Right, but but it was a serious thing, uh, in in this in this sense. Uh, first of all, uh, it, it meant that there, there's a certain level of accountability that uh, PTAs and school boards felt for policing uh, and for addressing these these issues. And I, I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing. In fact, you know, in some ways it's 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 ridiculous, but in other ways, it, it also meant that when there were overt racist, not not like Huckleberry Finn, although that was treated as a racist text eventually. Uh, you know, I, I read Eldridge Cleaver's uh, Soul on Ice to do a book report, which was ridiculous, unheard of. I mean, it's not that I was that enlightened or that avant-garde, but I, I actually was interested in reading about the Black Panthers. And that, that is a book that if it had been uh, initiated by a teacher they would have been suspended, right? But because because I introduced the book and that was my book report, you know, uh, you know, I, it was you know uh, allowed to to uh, pass the censors, so to speak. But I did have a lot of, you know, interrogation about that. Meaning, uh, my fellow students and occasionally another teacher would hear about something and they'd say, "Well, why did you choose that book?" And you know, an answer. Like I gave, which was I wanted to learn about the Black Panthers, was not acceptable. I mean, it just <laughs> you couldn't make any just sense. want to
1: know about something,
0: <laughs> right? Uh, but you know that that was true. I mean, uh, this is slightly off topic, but uh, even a book like Ball Four, which was uh, uh, Jim Bouton's expose of the real lives of baseball players, he pitched for the New York Yankees, and he, he says in his book a number of shocking things, like. Uh, Mickey Mantle came to bat drunk more times than I could imagine. And, you know, that just wasn't learned. And so that's a shocking revelation. And I can remember people talking about ball four, which, of course, my mom immediately went out and bought for me (laughs) because I asked for it. And, uh, you know, it, it, it basically says, you know, baseball players and probably basketball players and football players are not all that moral or they're not all that in control of themselves. And that just, it was not something that you're supposed to learn in uh, 11th grade, but I did. <laughs> and, uh, you know, again, it, it, I mean, a lot of a lot of kids did. It wasn't that I was so special, but I did have more, better access and more access to those kinds of, of things because my mom trusted me to to read things or watch things or listen to things, uh, and my dad too, but, you know, my mom was the main conduit of culture at that time, and she said, sure, I'll... I'll buy you that book. What's the big deal? And, uh, and, uh, I remember, again, this is not on the issue of censorship so much, but I I got to read, uh, Michael Crichton's first book, The Andromeda Strain. That's a great book. Even though that had, that had naughty words in it. But but I got to read it.
1: Very casual about sex and everything else in his book.
0: So, so, uh, that, that's one thing. So, uh, uh, not exactly censorship, but but people who didn't appreciate uh, people, occasionally like me, who would introduce subjects they didn't want to, to talk about in class, <laughs> and uh, Black Panthers weren't you know weren't uh, you know, or hippies or any anything about you know the 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 lifestyle of the new
1: hippies and because they're worried about, about validating stuff. something that they want stopped.
0: Or, or you know, there's that, and then you know that uh, I'll, I'll share this anecdote now. Uh, I was valedictorian in my class, which meant on graduation night I would give a speech. And after I gave my speech, this is 1970, no valedictorian was ever allowed to give a speech without it being word for word read okay. and approved by the principal.
1: Did you? Do you still have that speech?
0: Uh I probably do. I could look for it. But but here here's how uh, damaging it, it was uh but I, I can paraphrase it. I had a friend, Rob Watling, uh a casual friend at best, but he was a hippie guy. He had long hair and he read poetry. I mean who does that? <laughs> And we got along great, and I inserted him in my speech because he was not allowed to graduate, if unless he cut his hair. And I, we didn't have the word rant, in our vocabularies, but I went off on a rant that was sort of spontaneous during that. And they were waiting to hear me talk about uh, being good citizens, opportunities, You're the how how Akron Central had prepared me for a life in college. And I did say some of those things, but not until I'd gotten what I wanted to say about Rob Watling. And I called out this principal <laughs> and the assistant principal. And uh you know, I I have had occasional courageous moments in my life and, and I'm I'm sorta of proud of that, but I was it was really shocking. Again, this was the Darnell moment where I you know, I hit that guy in seventh grade and what why would Bruce Edwards we've never known him to be well except that time he read the Black Panthers book. But anyway, <laughs> you know, I I just laid it out there and said uh and he wasn't allowed to graduate that night. He wasn't allowed to you know walk and get his diploma. And I consider that an injustice. And uh I I said it. I called him up by name. The irony is Though the uh, assistant principal was extremely mad at me and actually chased around the the, the school looking for me afterwards, <laughs> Rob Watling was even more angry with me because he said, "Why did you do that? Why did you mention me i didn 't want the attention called to me and so on and so forth. so I just remember that night feeling defeated because <laughs> I was his you know his He's champion. To love he you didn't, he, he didn't even want me to to do it. And, you know, I could see how it would be embarrassing. I'm not your damsel. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, that, that was my one heroic moment in, uh, well, maybe there was a couple more, but that, that was the one that uh, stands out to me when I think about it, it. It was building up over the year of, you know, authoritarianism by the, by the uh, the school principal and, you know, just stuff that, you know, I I didn't want to end the school year. And, and, you know, to me, going on to college was a big deal. I mean, it's like, this is where I'm really going to get educated. You know, this is where I'm yeah, going to really... Finally,
1: I can be... dive in and learn something.
0: Right. And so... Of course what I went on to do is major in Greek at first year <laughs> <laughs> which means I got exposed to all sorts of ancient Athenian uh wisdom and and uh you know rebellion <laughs> <laughs> in the original language uh but I didn't learn a whole lot of other things because I found out that you know the game is rigged even for universities because you got to follow the administration
1: yeah um, uh, well, it's either, it's either the faculty or administration that are cracking the whips and they can either be terrible masters.
0: Well, it, what what you find out is uh they do care about the public and all you need is one person to complain about X whatever it is, a subject matter, a speaker you brought in, uh a paper you wrote that, you know, defies the conventional wisdom or whatever. Uh, but uh it is it is a Interesting experience that transition from each of the grades from from elementary to junior high, from and, and junior high to, to high school. I, I don't know that the transition is the same or will be the same for for uh, my grandkids currently transitioning through those grades, and uh, uh, it it strikes me that it, it everything about education, public education in particular, is very regional, and so you know i suppose if you're in massachusetts there there's a certain uh, uh freedom or or you know uh, ability to explore that there isn't let's say in texas and you know those may be terrible stereotypes but you know you you sort of get the impression that uh that regionally uh, america is many many states and not just you know a united states yeah. and uh, Uh, And I I don't think uh, I could be, uh, again, out of it, but uh, I don't think the uh, the 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 main intention of public education is to create uh, safe citizenship qualities. Um, And I don't I don't even know that the, the Pledge of Allegiance is required or. I am I'm, I'm pretty sure the Star Spangled banner isn't played before every Yeah, probably day, not every but, day. But uh maybe every It week. certainly is before every uh every baseball game. True. So that may be one of the last bastions of <laughs> public citizenship being inculcated in Yeah, take children, your hat off, then, stand
1: up and cover your heart. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. yeah there, there are some weird um I don't know how to describe them. Paradoxes that, you know, you note here that, you know, schooling, you know, as depicted in nostalgic terms already, you know, it's, it's this idealized socialization, becoming a citizen. And today that's a lot of that seems like it's gone. It's not so much there, at least not the, the heavy handed rhetoric, you know, even if the, the machinery is still doing that. Um, but then at the same time, even though, some of these topics that weren't easy to talk about at the time, whether it's sex or gender or ethnicity or politics, um yet everything can still be controversial now. It's like, yeah, we can talk about anything, and we can be outraged about everything, right and I don't know which yeah. is worse
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh you know diving in one uh foxhole to get to the next one, and uh you never. You never can tell which is going to be the issue that day uh, with that particular audience. You know, the, uh, th- this is interesting to me, and maybe you can comment on this. Uh, after the Supreme Court decision about uh, same-sex marriage, suddenly subgroups were starting to say, we are not a Christian nation, and in fact, we never have been. And these were some of the same people who were arguing the opposite. Uh, before that, because it just it's just weird to me that you can switch sides of the argument. I mean, these are the same people, yeah. uh, and you know the reason it's not a Christian nation today is well, that Christian nation, if it existed, would never have done this, uh, and it just it's just a weird era, uh, and you know I, I see you know my extrapolation from that would be a new era of uh, isolationism. In which uh, you know too many, uh, uh, and this is you know, a stereotype. I'm not sure that I want to say it's just Christians. You know, it could be different kinds of conservatives, different kinds of libertarians, whatever. Uh, you know, why why do you want to continually plant yourself on uh, in a particular political regime, no matter who's running for president? And and you know, don't you have any convictions of your own? You know, and you you, you just don't uh, yeah. Facebook your positions. That you, you you know what 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 what's going on? Why why do you have so many shares instead of if you're going to say something, say something?
1: Yeah. So. And I always the 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 side hopping that always weirds me out is the the our nation was set up a certain way and that must be preserved in amber and never changed. But at the same time, a half the stuff our founding fathers wrote was about how everything changes and we need a good process for dealing with change. And we've even articulated a method by which we can change our government to match the will of the people. And that's actually kind of the, a big structure in our government is the fact that we can change things. And uh, it's like, well, when it's something I liked, never change it. But when it's what they want, well... You know, I don't know. It just seems like there's weird double standards around the the mutability of our government.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, like I, I alluded to in a previous podcast, uh, the uh, Earl Warren Supreme Court, you know, was credited with uh, in ending prayer in schools and, of course, also ending uh, segregation in schools. Uh, presumably, uh, you know, one of those would be part of that Christian America, and the other one wouldn't be. And yet, you know, there were people angry on both sides of that and and wanted to impeach Earl Warren. And uh, it's just a a strange uh, phenomenon.
1: So any final thoughts on on schooling and growing up? I mean, you you got to watch me grow up in different schools, whether it was at a private Christian school, Bowling Green Christian Academy, and into high school and even into... Kenya, but, um, you know, anything you noticed in, you know, as a third party observing your children go to school that seemed obviously different, whether good or bad?
0: Well, I think, uh, with, I think three of our four children, uh, Matt, you and Justin, uh, you did make a break from the, the, the system at some point, you know, Matt went on to Toledo Christian and, uh, you know, you, you, uh, what I want to say, and you know, Mary went all all the, the time, but there was also a Washington D.C. time, where you know, homeschooling and and uh, Matt and and Mary uh, experiencing a different school system. Um, to me, that break was was beneficial. I mean, I think it it, it helped you see different things, experience different things. Um, you know, maybe some of the things you, you didn't like, but I, I, I think uh, it was valuable. And especially, I would say it was valuable for you to, uh, to experience schooling in in Kenya, and, and of course, just living in Kenya is an experience that Mr. opened Frenzy. your eyes. Yeah, Mr. <laughs> Frenzy. But but what I draw from that is, I think it's very healthy to not spend. Most of every day in the confines of a high school environment, and I think you know whether it was because you were taking uh, P.S.O.P. classes, you know at the university, or uh, you know we were uh, abroad. I mean, you know, we, I, you know, I think it's a tremendous experience, uh, and I hope you you all re- re- regard it this way too. Is you know we got to throw in Australia into that, and you know whether you went to school or not, just not being here you were somewhere else yeah i think that prepares you for a lot and 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 probably makes you have some wanderlust in terms of where you want to live (laughs) what you want to do and and you what you found out this is my view and what i found out about myself is we could go anywhere and and we'd be changed we'd be challenged and it was safe to do that it's okay not to live all of your life in the same town or go to the same school or or to you know, live under the confines of a particular uh collegiate environment uh and it's you know it, it's okay and you can not only survive it you can be enriched by it yeah and i well, think that's you know that's the thing that uh it, it's hard to explain to people who never want to go abroad who's never been anywhere but you know their state, and uh you know i i i am i'm grateful that I was able to to facilitate that experience and uh sometimes even if you didn't really know why or why you <laughs> had to give up some friends for a while that you were leaving behind that sort of stuff,
1: well, as long as we didn't have to go to union University, <laughs> I probably should call them out by name. but <laughs> um, no, well, I-, I think
0: that I think that was that was pretty forcefully. Uh, communicated to us and i hope you you give me credit for being a dad who uh who listened (laughs) well i remember part
1: of part of that the i mean not that i'm some like heroic part of that story or something because i remember being very concerned that they would buy you a new mac and that it'd be a power mac that could probably run the newest quake or doom game really well (laughs) (laughs) it was very important to me um no, I mean two things. I guess um, interesting that the you were able to embrace the the traveling, the the new challenge sort of lifestyle. When it wasn't it wasn't until college that you left Akron, right? Uh, well, yeah, I, I went one year, right, one
0: year at the University of Akron, and then you know, went south to to Florida. And did you already know, then...
1: Like, did you already have this in you? Like, oh, I, I'm I'm going to go, I'm going to go places. I'm not just going to stay in Akron or. Was that discovered later?
0: Well, no, I, you know, quickly I would say, you know, the years of traveling to New York City, you know, as part of of the wanderlust of my parents and grandparents for a two-week vacation every summer, that, you know, clearly opened my eyes to a different kind of world, different kind of language, different kinds of experiences. And, uh, you know, in the summer before I went, to the University of Akron, like the the vacation time between you know senior year and and uh, going to Akron, I asked my parents to drive me to the South, and we experienced going through Birmingham, Alabama. I wanted to see uh, Selma. I wanted to see where you know, Rosa Parks was. I mean, I guess it makes me some noble and heroic or something in some ways, but that's you know. Uh, that's how I knew I did. I I would never want to stay in one place, you know, at least for education. And I would never, you know, want to, uh, not go somewhere, uh, if I had the opportunity. And so, uh, yeah. I guess the, the short version of all that is, I think I've always, since New York, uh, you know, I've always had my eyes open to other places to go.
1: Yeah, that's great. And I mean, you definitely instilled that in us by traveling a lot, taking us to, you know, half of my kindergarten year was in D.C., Springfield, Virginia, I guess, mostly. And, uh, you know, I, I think I share in common with you that ninth grade was one of the most dreadful schooling years of my life. I It was depressing going to Bowling Green High School in ninth grade and um, getting to go to Kenya for 10th grade was you know, if nothing else, a change, but it it actually turned out to be much better than just, you know, a change. And, uh, you know, going back yeah. to, you know, maybe worse than ninth grade was going back to Bowling Green High School in 11th grade. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when the, yeah, the whole, would... let's just take college classes and get out of this place.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that, that was hard for me, too, because after you've... uh you know, lived in Kenya and seen the world. I mean, I, I didn't really want to come back to the same situation at the university, and I didn't, mainly because <laughs> I was told I couldn't, and I had to find my own position. I mean, I could have gone back to the English department, which I, you know, I did for a class at a time, but, uh, you know, that that's uh, another day, another story. But but the idea is, if you have the opportunity and don't take it. Uh, it's a m- big mistake. And I think uh, some some of the things that all of you have, have done with your lives is very adventurous. And, you know, even even for me, it's amazing to me that, uh, you know, that you've made those choices and, and been able to not just make them work, but make them, you know, be very uh, enriching. And, and uh, you know, the friendships you make, the things you learn, things you get to do. Um, all those things were true of, of, of me in, in the various adventures that I chose to take you on and, and you, you've taken me on your adventures and that's the best part.
1: Well, that, that's amazing. I think that's the note we should go out on. Okay. The adventures we took each other on, um, so this was episode fourteen of Some Pulp. As always, we're we're so happy to have you listening, and uh, you can find show notes and links to all this stuff at uh, sunriserobot.net/somepulp/14. Uh, we'll have links to you know Captain Kangaroo and Red Skelton's Pledge of Allegiance, and uh, you know some of the typical films that children were shown, like A Small Town, and uh, you know I'll throw in a picture of this this wee version of. Uh, captain kangaroo it's pretty amusing and uh so you can check you can find that sunrise robot website and if you'd like to support us um, we do have a patreon going on if you go to patreon.com slash sunrise robot and any anything you send our way helps us keep making great shows helps us add new shows including a, a recently added book club podcast has joined our repertoire on sunrise robot and uh, whether, whether you're into pop culture, music, or technology, or um, reading and, and life stuff, um, there's other great shows happening. Uh, as always, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks.